Good morning. Picture, if you will, a porch. It's like any other porch, except it's a little bigger. Five men are gathered there, charged with the task of writing and arranging the man service. Five men, a handful, a handful of man, assembled to manipulate a manifold manual of manliness. <laughs> manual labor. This was not their choice. It was not actually their choice at all. One of their wives signed them up for it. <laughs> but they embraced it, they decided to run with it, and they got together after work on the porch to discuss a theme for this service. It's a fitting night to talk manly issues. Storm clouds gather as night descends. A tornado warning is called for regions throughout the area as rain starts to fall. And when I say fall, I mean that it starts to heave itself horizontally so that if you're sitting under the porch roof close to the house, your face is still getting wet. So this is where this service began. Jared Davis, John Allen, Clay Walker, Joshua Lawrence, and me on a porch as the rain came down in sheets, talking about what it means to be a man. A loaded subject to present to a group of Unitarian Universalists. This is a church where if you refer to a supreme being as God, it has to be ungendered, because if you call him him, you have to apologize, sort of, lest you be corrected for appearing sexist. But as Nigel Tufnell from Spinal Tap says, what's wrong with being sexy? <laughs> but I digress. What does it mean to be a man? Are there traits that are distinctly masculine? Joshua referred to some. We refer and we agree that men and women are different, but do they really have different roles to play? What is the ideal of masculinity that we would like to try to emulate as part of this church, as role models for our children? Men are strong, right? Men are decisive. I'm not sure about that one night. If you disagree, let me know. I mean, I'm happy to take it back. Um, men approach conflict with equanimity. At least we like to try to do that. Men make decisions for bold actions when actions must be taken. Men are happier doing, less, happier, less happy to be talking about doing. You want to stress a man out, tell him the roof is leaking, but he's not allowed to go outside and look at it. Tell him you feel depressed, but you don't want to talk about it, and don't ask. <laughs> I'm going to go back to something that Jared read a little earlier. If you can talk with crowds and keep your virtue, or walk with kings nor lose the common touch, if neither foes nor loving friends can hurt you, if all men count with you but none too much, if you can fill the unforgiving minute with 60 seconds worth of distance run, yours is the earth and everything that's in it. And what's more, you'll be a man, my son. Wow, those are big words. Men are brave, brave enough to fight the good fight. To paraphrase Atticus Finch, bravery is when you know you're licked before you start, but you decide to fight anyway. But men can be cartoonish and boorish as well. Bravery and decisiveness can give way to paternalistic autocracy. The strong can run ramshod over the weak. Men with power do dreadful things. 
I listen to the news every day. I listen to NPR. That's my wake-up call. And every morning when I wake up, I hear the latest stories of another man of power don something awful. Arnold Schwarzenegger fathers a love child with a domestic servant. Dominique Strauss-Kahn, International Monetary Fund chief, or previously, is jailed for attempted rape of a hotel maid. Really? Nevada Senator John Ensign resigns his seat amidst charges of adultery and money mishandling. The very appetites that drive men toward action can set him up for scandal. I hear these stories and I feel ashamed for my gender. Chalk up another stupid plan to the XY team, fellas. Thanks for making the rest of us look bad. (laughs) But maybe it's not like that. Maybe this is continuing to remind us what we need to do right. The rain, meanwhile, continues to fall. Wine pours. The wind is now blowing in sharp, blustery bursts, and candles flicker and go out. And then, crack! There's a deafening crack. A bolt of blinding, silvery lightning actually strikes the house 200 feet away from our porch. The instantaneous thunder crack was so loud it sweeps the bangs away from your face. Wine glasses go to the ground. They're, They're acrylic, so it's okay. But they're splattering hemorrhages of purple stain everywhere. And I immediately set my wine glass down, and I run up the stairs to check on my daughters, who are snuggled in the same bed, scared, not quite crying. And I'm halfway up the stairs when Emma, who had been sitting on the porch next door, is running inside to do the same thing. And she sees me, and a look of relief spreads over her face. Dave is handling it. I'm there, the protector. The part of myself that I most value comes from that role. I find meaning there. Joshua found the right word for it later in our discussion that night. Men are, above all, chivalrous. The very word rings with an elegant antiquity. Men will endure self-sacrifice to help those whom they care for. So whom do we care for? Our families, our dear friends, our community. Why do we choose this community? I realized in this porch discussion that the reason I believe in this organization is because it purports to adhere to this fundamental concept. Those who are weak or who have no voice must have someone to fight for them. This is the very essence of justice, and it's a fundamental role of civilized government, the paradigm upon which our republic derived its Bill of Rights. The power of the many must not outweigh the power and the rights of the few. A just government protects the weak against the will of the strong. We, we, must defend those who have no voice because it's the right thing to do. Because it is the very essence of who we are, how we define ourselves. Sometimes this means we must engage in conflict. And personally, I am personality-wise, very conflict-averse. I don't really enjoy fighting. There are alternatives to conflict sometimes. You can run away. You can ignore the problem. One can become despondent about how a situation is unlikely to change because the opposition is so mighty. Some conflicts, however, are too big to be ignored. Some conflicts must be engaged with the joy of one who is fueled by the fire of justice 
and the love of one's fellow humans. A bolt of lightning told me this. We must protect those whom we love. So my charge for this message was to talk to you about what it means to be a UU man. But what I got from the exercise is a discussion on really what it means to be a UU. We are living in a time and place where liberal thinkers are marginalized, sometimes ridiculed by those who would place themselves on a higher plane of religious ethics. We have developed a sickly self-consciousness of our affiliation so as not to invite conflict or contempt. We are at a time when a unified voice must ring from us louder than ever because those who would oppose individual liberty and intellectual freedom are banded together in a mighty chorus. We require, at this stage of our existence, more emphasis on the Unitarian, maybe less on the Universalism. Many voices on many different notes creates cacophony and chaos. We're ready for a steady leader. The following reading is from one of my heroes, and also one of the heroes of this church, Ralph Waldo Emerson, from his essay appropriately titled, Heroism. Our culture, therefore, must not omit the arming of the man. Let him hear in season that he is born into the state of war, and that the commonwealth and his own well-being require that he should not go dancing in the weeds of peace, but warned, self-collected, and neither defying nor dreading the thunder, let him take both reputation and life in his hand, and with perfect urbanity dare the gibbet and the mob the absolute truth of his speech and the rectitude of his behavior. Heroism is an obedience to a secret impulse of an individual's character. It speaks the truth, and it is just, generous, hospitable, temperate, scornful of petty calculations, and scornful of being scorned. It persists. It is of an undaunting boldness and of a fortitude not to be wearied out. A bolt of lightning told me this. We need someone unafraid to protect those of us who require it, to provide direction to those of us who don't. Someone who has a steady moral compass and a vision of spiritual greatness Someone who is unafraid to stand when the gathering clouds loom. And as it turns out, we've decided who those leaders are. And wouldn't you know it, the best men for the job turned out to be women. <laughs> I mean, right? We've selected Amanda Lawrence as our president, not because she's weak and demure, we chose Amanda because she is bold, unafraid, righteous, and outspoken. What about Barbara Gerald? We have chosen Barbara to be ordained as our minister, not because she decides how to preach by committee, right? We chose Barbara because of her spiritual vision and her abiding faith that goodness can be reached through the power of love and in the service to our fellow humans. So this discussion of manhood turns out to be a call to action for all of us in this congregation. We have elected leaders. The time for boldness is upon us. We must follow, 
we must assist and we must be of use. We must rely on their vision and trust in ourselves to engage them in discussion if we find we do not agree. To our leaders, I say this. Lead us. Make no apologies for what you know is right. We believe in you, and your time has come. We believe in you. We will follow. We will follow. We will follow. The closing hymn for today is hymn number 168.